Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Rob Bogue, an author and organizational development consultant with Thor Projects, LLC, on the topic of the continuum of collaboration and the differing views of collaboration within the enterprise. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Rob Bogue, an, an author, trainer, and organizational development consultant with Thor Projects, LLC, and a Microsoft MVP. I don't know how many, how many years? 18. 18 years, who's known throughout the community as the SharePoint Shepherd. Welcome, Rob. Hey, thanks, Christian. It's good and, to be here. Yeah, and it's all right. We don't have to worry about our hair or anything or looking nice. It's just audio. It's just, uh, you know, but we're focusing today on the continuum of collaboration and how yep. collaboration means different things to different people. So, Rob, why don't you give us more of a background of, of who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, first the earth cooled, then the dinosaurs came. No, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I should jump ahead a little bit. <laughs> Um, then two people loved each other and, and two people that. loved each other and, and, and it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Now we, um, so I actually started out as a developer and then I got bored and I went and I did infrastructure and then I got bored and I went back to doing development and then I got bored and I got crazy and said, Hey, that I was all within crazy. six months. Oh. Yeah. And that was, that was just the first six months. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've been back. So it's back and forth. Right. And so I'd be transitioning these places and, you know, a couple of decades ago, the developers and the infrastructure people didn't know each other's names or what language they spoke, right? The developers would be coming out in C Sharp or C or Visual Basic at that time, and the infrastructure people would be like TCP IP, and they were like, huh? They couldn't connect. And so that's kind of where I got started with this idea about collaboration is how do you get folks to work together who, you know, for the most part, they didn't, they didn't speak the same language. Uh, and so that led me to, uh, I was working with SharePoint in the beta days, the old Tahoe days, the pre 2001. And, and yes, I know I'm already dating myself. Um, but well, but I was going to add to the age there. It's like what, what, during that era, did you ever get into like the notation world of like, I, cause I was involved in uh, with rational software and the whole mm -hmm. UML thing. And so that idea yep. was another way of translating across different technologies around the notation. So what yeah. you actually went and built on was uh, secondary to let's all agree on the use cases and scenarios and what are we yep. actually trying to solve for? And then the mechanics of building. Yeah. In fact, I still use UML notation in some of my design documents, right? Like, so I still build, if I'm building a design document for a developer, I will build them a Word document, I'll build them a UML model um, and, and structural and class and right, like and I all the different models. Um, There's fewer yeah, was, than ever before people who actually know what we're talking about. Which yeah, is I know. So, so unified markup language, UML. And um, it was a structural way of doing things because everybody was drawing flowcharts, right? But they weren't doing it in the same way. And so- um, and, and now if you want to do it, you go to Visio and you activate the template and you go do it because Visio does that stuff. Um, but back then it was a little harder. Okay. A lot harder. Um, yeah. And I got sucked into Lotus notes, you know, that, that was fun. Um, just, just lots of stuff that we used to call collaboration that today you're looking at and you're like, man, that, I I've seen a rock and a chisel, um, that's sort of the level of sophistication we had. That's, um, that's the thing is that there's there's so many things that can be classified under collaboration technology. Like my my background is like I I started out uh, early in my career as a, as a technical writer, then as a business analyst, and then uh, when I left, I went from EDS working EDS Medical and and helping maintain all the documentation, the systems, working with the engineering teams for. California's Medi-Cal, you know, instance, they're working in Sacramento. 
and took a project management job with Pacific Bell down in the Bay Area. I moved back down to the Bay Area where I was born and raised, but um, moved back down there and, and ended up actually managing some of the teams that I worked with, the uh, EDS personnel um, that mm-hmm. were working on the, the Pacific Bell account. But uh, so much around that in managing these systems and the complexity of this shared services organization, I slowly adopted and started managing the project management tools. And then I we, we released a, a new portal for our, mm-hmm. our, our organization. We actually got split off from the parent company, had to become a standalone so that we could truly be a shared services, a, a neutral entity. Um, with a different, you know, gal and security and all that from, you know, away from uh, Gal is global address list. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to expand the acronyms because there, I there know you go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you know, with that, you know, building out this portal and building, uh, I remember, I remember having the conversation with my manager said, you know, can we automate a lot of what you're doing around documentation and the process, our methodology, so our front door process when requests from customers um, at a couple of the different company the entities came to at, at our organization was Pacific Telesis Shared Services. That was, you know, the, the public entity, the, the legal group uh, entity. And they would come to our site and do a, go through a request. And we had some level of automation, but really it wasn't. It dumped into a list, a table, a database. It was a DOS batch file, wasn't right. it? And then somebody looked at it and, right, and uh, you got notified. Maybe there was a notification via email when something got added to the list. That was as far as the automation. But as those things got more complex over the next few years, uh, I got more into the knowledge management. So a lot of the collaboration that happened around those systems and more document collaboration you know that was happening there and then the social tools which were rising in popularity because at that time all of the instant messaging protocols were brand new so icq is still the leader aol instant messenger yeah Yeah. uh, all that stuff was brand new um my little startup when i started working the rational software where we went we built our own instant messaging protocol and system within our solution and and you had things like Trillion out there, which could oh, cross collaborate in between yeah. you know, the different IN, the chat tools and things that are out there. So all of that collaboration is, you know, people trying to get work done that they need to work together. That's right. collaboration. Yeah, it's and, and it's and it's the thing is, so because we have this long history, um, Collaboration means so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. Um, you know, I can remember trying to explain collaboration to people in the 2001 to 2005 timeframe. And every business leader knew they had to have it because I don't know whether it was Gartner or McKinsey or who it was. Somebody said, thou shalt have collaboration, right? And they're all like, how do I tick that box? And um, yeah try to explain it to people and explain, yeah, yeah, no, it's more than having a place for files because what people thought was, well, if I have a place that multiple people can get to, that's collaboration. I'm like, well, yeah, sort of, but how do they know what to do? How do they, like, how do they know to interact? Right. Are you, and I don't know if you had this, but we um, had some of our clients at the time were changing the file names when they were done with it. Right, like they'd work on it, blah 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 blah, and then they then they'd rename it with a dash F for final or fixed or whatever. Right. Uh, wait um, a second. You mean change it? No. What they'd actually do is save a new copy and rename yeah. a copy of, and have both yeah. of them out there, and then some. Yeah. yeah that, so yeah, the, they did that that, that was a real problem. That continues well, to be a problem in a yeah, lot. Of- well, in version control, right? That's that's the way that we all learned version control, right? V one, V one, one, V two. All right. My, my personal favorite was the V final. No, no, no. The V final, final, the final, final, final of the final. Yeah. <laughs> like, guys, at some point, just assume there's never going to be a final. You just know, keep I, counting. What you just described there was my first job with, with EDS was yeah. actually um, fixing the, uh, the, the code. So the, that would be documented via flower box in the code itself. Um, yep. I would actually 
have to go over, drive over to the Beacon storage facility across town to swap out pages in three ring binders that were in bankers boxes. And there were tens of thousands of boxes. Yep. Yeah. And that was that documentation, but that's what we were required to do by the state of California. Right. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. Very efficient. Yeah. Well, and I did some ISO stuff too. And it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, Oh, the documentation's on the floor. So you get to go on the floor and swap it out sometimes mid process, right? The guy's working on the thing and it's like making noise and stuff. And you're like, Hey, I need your book. He's yeah. like, I need that. Like, yeah. Well, you'll get it back in a minute. So. Done that as well. The red books, the ones that are out live yeah. by the systems out on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, with, with so much of the, the change to you remember that era when you're talking about early two thousands, SAS was a brand new concept. So remember it was right, right. Yep. At, that's right after the dot-com implosion yep. yep. and where organizations were then going back and looking at, okay, what's real, what's fake, mm -hmm. what's real about you know, this online world and these and software as a service, what does it actually mean? Because I joined in uh, February of 2001, I joined a very well-funded, at the time they had raised uh, about 280 million, I believe, through venture capitalists and major uh, uh, high-tech manufacturing uh, IT companies. IBM was a, a, a founding investor, um, Lucent, um, Selectron in the manufacturing space, a bunch of these big players that all invested within this company. And we built a hosted, a dedicated hosted collaboration platform. So we built something called collaboration manager, which was, mm -hmm. and we went live with that. And we, I actually did deployment. So I helped build the first deployment team and went and did a deployment over in Japan and the Philippines um, was our first or second customer that, that utilized this. Um, and all of the concerns, like just that, that time, 2001, 2002, 2003 was still so security minded. And they were worried yeah. about collaboration outside of the firewall and yeah well, i mean inside the firewall oh i yeah. mean do you remember lighting up sharepoint search for the first time at a company and they went you have to turn that off you know the 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 best stories are when around sharepoint search were when there was a new version of sharepoint and features improved and people say oh it's broken They're like no actually it's working better and it's yeah. showcasing, it's highlighting what you failed to do on your security audits and your permissions locked down your cleanup. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. We, we always found, I, 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 I can't tell you the number of times we found things like payroll lists and all this other stuff that they swore didn't exist, right? Like, oh, no, 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 we're fine. I'm like, okay, let me light it up. I'm, you know, what was your president's name again? And I type that in there and then I type space salary. I'm like, huh, well, there's his salary for the last five years. You know, they're like, don't show anybody that. I'm like, um, okay, how about I show you and you go fix it? So, you know, Rob, yeah. one of the things I remember is in the early 2010s, uh, one of the, the battles that we fought with a lot of you know, customers and just to try and understand around collaboration was just trying to get them to understand how important collaboration was at enterprise scale, how important yeah. it was business critical. And then yeah. suddenly it's like overnight, everybody had to have it. Yeah. Like what, what shifted, what drove that to, to where I would argue now it's like one of those things where we just kind of, uh, it's just assumed that we have collaboration platforms. It's how people work now. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it used to be, well, so first of all, you have to think that the, the velocity of change inside of organizations has radically changed over the last several decades, right? In the seventies, you were expecting that you would find change in your industry after a few decades, maybe a half century. If you said to somebody today, your industry is stable for a decade, they would laugh at you, right? Even the most staunch, reserved, 
you know, banking, right? Like rewind 10 years to today. When was the last time you were in your bank? Right? Because nobody goes anymore because they've got the mobile app and you can do deposits with your phone. And so I think the big transactions, I don't even use my bank. I mean, money comes out in the background, but the the day-to-day stuff is via other platforms, but yeah. Right, right. Well, and so that's the, that's the change, right? Like, so the change was the velocity at which we experienced change in our industries and in our world. And so we're starting to experience this change continuously and no longer the manila folders with the strings on them that you used to send through interoffice mail, they weren't fast enough anymore. Um, and I don't know about you, I was working in consulting at the time. I mean, it feels like my entire career has been consulting, but um, we were never in the office. We were always at the client sites, right? And so all of a sudden people are like, well, instead of doing that, we're going to scan it and we'll email you the scanned copy, which is, you know, its own thing. But why don't you backed it up? Mail me a paper copy of it you know, as well. So I. Oh, they did that too. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. 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 But but that's the difference, right? Like, so the difference um, is really that velocity of change, and so we had to start finding ways to be more efficient about the way that we interacted. You mentioned knowledge management earlier. We had to figure out who knows what, where are they. Um, you know, IBM had their blue book and everybody had their way of, of you know, yellow pages looking for people. Um, but, but the world changed out from underneath us and collaboration was no longer a nice to have. It was not, not, not on the McKinsey radar. It was all of a sudden completely underneath your feet. And, and, and so you had to change. Just uh, as a sidebar here, um, just, just, uh, you just made me think of this, but, uh, uh, so as it's uh, approaching tax season, I went in to print out a couple things and realized that the ink in my ink printer had dried out. And I realized, I'm like, I just bought that ink. So I looked, I found like, I bought that ink and used the printer one year ago, working on taxes stuff, printing stuff out. That was the last yeah. time I turned my printer on. And yeah. so the brand new cartridges had dried out. Right. And they're right. It looks like a desert. Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's just a, 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 how things have changed so much now. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to going back and looking at, again, the conversations that I had with customers uh, back in the 2001 to 2005 timeframe um, were all about, you know, uh, you know, performance, uh, there was clearly there was a lack of broadband, it was rare to find people that had yeah. broadband, a lot of the largest enterprises had, you know, good connections. I mean, we had customers in, as I mentioned, this deployment that I did in the Philippines, I spent a couple of weeks down, down in Manila, and working south of Manila, and there was an, a single IDSL line for the entire facility, it was shared. They, yeah, yep. it, it's well, yeah, it's the one the 128. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it was one, you know, via phone uh, yep. and, you know, that cable, if somebody needed to upload or download something that they would wait their turn for the cable, go and plug it in, upload, download, hand it to the next person waiting for the, for the connection. Um, yeah. And to, and so it's really difficult to, to think about the modern era of collaboration, how reliant we are on that connectivity and how much more stable it's become and how more widespread it's become to have broadband. Um, that has also sped up a lot of the collaboration focus. Yeah, absolutely. So IDSN, um, we used to joke, it's, uh, uh, it, it's actual acronym is Integrated Switch Digital Network. Um, and the high-speed lines that we had at the time, right before that were called T1s. And they transmitted at 1.544 megabits per second, right? Yeah. Um, See, I came from, I worked for a DSL company. That's why the right. IDSL version yeah. of that, which is, yeah. you know, for, for the, the specific vendor. But there, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, that was a big part of it was the, you know, the, the capability. So, I mean, things that have happened, I mean, the cost of storage is dramatically dropped yeah. down. The 
broadband has been deployed at least in you know the western world it's yeah. become widely there's so, so a lot of the limitations on usage are are going away in, yeah. in most regions so one of the things so and i'm trying to help people understand this um i will sometimes talk about two things one which is our ability to create and consume content so if you go back 1450 is gutenberg 1870 we get a typewriter um, and really, there's not a ton going on back before that or even to that. 1959 is the xenographic copy process, where Xerox comes from. 1970s, we get personal. By the 80s, they become, excuse me, 1970s, we have computers. By the 1980s, they become personal. By the 1990s, we start getting the internet. By the 2000s, now we have uh, starting to share photos, right? Because our lines are starting, they're, they're not. ISDN, it still does nothing. They're getting faster, right? And by 2010, so roughly a decade ago, we started sharing videos. And so the amount of content that we can share, the way that we can share it um, has, has radically changed. The other aspect, I think, and as you were talking about what really changed to, to drive collaboration is we have the expectation now that we can reach anyone at any moment with any information. Right. Um, that was that right. was really the second half of the 2010s was like the yep. live streaming and the real time yep. synchronous communications yep. collaboration capability. Yep. yep. And so we've so 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 the technology made it easier. The friction gets reduced, and so now everybody's like, "Well, there's no reason not to do it." Um, and I think it's you know I think one of the things you you were talking about earlier, you're talking about this collaboration that involves. Um, what I would call semi-structured uh, processes, right? Like, so there's some input, there's some process, there's some output, but that middle process involves lots of people. And obviously that's collaboration, but how do you manage those, those statuses? How do you hand those things off and, and not do that in email? Because, right, like the first thing we did with, we just emailed it around to people and we're still fighting that, right? Like you're still fighting to not do that. Um, but what is, so, so the process for you, what was the process for you that you're like, this needs to be a process. I need to have metadata. I've got to get it. I've, I've got to get it to, to, to follow kind of this rule. Yeah. For, for me, I mean, it was working in a product management team. And so where we had our methodology, we had specific review cycles, we had, you know, approvals that needed to happen. So a lot of that we didn't need to have, I mean, we sent a lot of emails around things around that, but we wanted to have, so like a, when something was completed, the status change would then automatically notify somebody and they go in and do this. So there's no need to send an email off. Yeah. I would go and look in the notes around the last completed stage, the notification right. that trigger automated notifications. So the, the product manager or the project manager or the stakeholders would go in and review that, look at all the comments, look at the scores, look at the status, and then take action based on that next recommendation. So that that's where a lot of that process, that's actually my, so this was like, I think that was like the latter half. So 2002, 2003, where I started really to understand the concept of workflow. And that level automation of removing all of the, you know, the, 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 the email, the other outside communications, let the tool drive the process yep. Yep. Um, was around that time frame. So how many years? So, so, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hand here. I know they can't see yep. that, but I'm going to raise my hand and say, I, it took me a couple of years to get this down, but I'm, but I'm curious for you. So we built the workflow processes and they fired um, but they assumed that the workflow always ran. They assumed that everything worked perfectly, right? How long did it take you to start designing in an opposite world where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the assumption that things have gone wrong, will go wrong, continue to go wrong. And so I'm going to make my workflows kind of work from that. I expect things are broken kind of point of view because it took me a couple of years before I really got that there was just no way around. I had to think about this was going to break and how do I make it more reliable is to change the workflows. Yeah. I mean, I think I was where I started to understand that was while I was at Microsoft. So between 2006 and 2009, 
where we started to do you know exception management and it was mm -hmm. we, we tried to improve the reporting to be able to see more of those why did this fail so that we can go and take action based on the failures if we never saw anything it was just running we just assumed it was working but if something halted, if any stage took too long, it triggered some action to go look at it. Like, is this thing still running? Because then we started to identify things like, what's going wrong here? Well, nothing. Well, it, it went to Steve. Steve is on vacation. That's right. why it's sitting within like, oh, right. okay. Then we started to ask questions. Well, it should go to a role, not to a person. So a number of yep. people, like, little things like that, um, yep. where... I mean, we, we started to understand like, okay, this, and then somebody went and automated something and it broke and we're like, okay, well, we need to have where it needs to go. It needs to be a staging system, a sandboxed, you know, location where it's can go and be tested out, not, not broken and provide feedback and only be entered back in when it's proven that it's safe and it won't break and move forward. I mean, so there's a, it was all during that time frame with a lot of those concepts where yeah. I became familiar with them. Well, and I and and I'd say that I still build that way today, right? I so I've run a couple of workflow engines in my time, um, but the original two thousand seven SharePoint workflow engine dropped about four percent of its um, it, its tasks. It would drop about four percent of them, and and it was because of timing and the code and blah blah blah. And and by the time that we got through twenty ten, maybe twenty twelve. We had enough of that tightened up uh, with Microsoft that it only failed like you know one tenth of one percent. So one in every thousand runs would still fail. And so now I still build that way. Like every time I go to build a new process, every time I go to to think about things, I'm like, well, how can I build this in the way that is the most resilient? So that if you uh, touch the record again, if somebody goes in and they touch the record, they open it up and they go, hey, why is this stuck? The workflow wakes back up and it goes, oh, this is stuck. I should fix that. Um, but it's just a different way of designing than we're used to. So did you ever do any work in manufacturing? Did you? Uh, only from the, from this side, from the collaboration standpoint, like okay. I've worked with the industry working with customers in that space. I mean, cause everything, what we were trying to build with this former company was that design the manufacturing process. We could actually halt it, alter a design all the people that need to be involved collaborate with that. It would automatically, I mean, it was very sophisticated what we would do. So it was all about demand planning. So the, the manufacturer can make a decision is like, well, if we make that design change, this is the cost, this is the timing, this is the impact of that design change, and then say yay or nay, I move forward with the design change, either just restart the process the way that it's been going, or make the change all the systems know what the impact is across the system, restart that process. Right. Yeah, so I asked that question because the Toyota production system, um, what really kind of drove lean, um, they talk about this idea that you want the human beings in the process to be the intelligence. You want them doing the work that requires their unique capabilities, their problem solving, their, their ability to be creative and to add value. And you want to automate all the rest of it. So how do you how do you create collaboration solutions using a manufacturing that manufacturing mindset, so that when you're creating the collaborations, all of the heavy lifting is done by systems, and the person at the end, the people who are working together, are really just doing the the stuff that only they can do, the stuff that they're gifted to do, or skilled. That's kind of the same argument around AI. Uh -huh. I mean, it's not just you know at manufacturing at one specific industry, but looking at AI itself is you try to you know automate those things which are AI works best today, you know until until there is the uh, what is it called? Kind of, What's the, the the moment where it becomes self aware and singularity. the singularity? Until the singularity happens, um, I mean they. And, and even to some degree, they can self-program and automate other, other steps. It still doesn't replace uh, the human thought process, you know, and, right. and, and uh, you know, humans are still needed around that. But it can go and, you know, and do, you know, millions of, of, of transactions can happen per second. I mean, yep. whatever it is, you know, it can do fast. But 
it can go and automate those repeatable tasks and those processes and identify when there are variances, where there are failures, and then take it, then implement instantaneously other processes, other workflows based on the results that it's, that it's seeing there, you know, but it's still slow it all down. It's still a number of pre-programmed tasks that it runs through those scenarios based on the results, take the next action, which is just a complex workflow working at the speed of light, you know? Yeah. But but that's what most AI is. Yeah. It's, it's funny because so I mean, like AI is probably a side topic for us, but for me, I try and simplify AI to folks to explain. So there's a base theorem, which is statistics, which says you continually reevaluate and then you build out of that a probability. Um, and folks are like, oh, AI is new and cool and special. And I'm like, yeah, it's new and cool and special as of the 80s. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, OCR, optical character recognition, it really is a specific special form of AI. They know what an O should look right. like. Yeah. Right. And and so what I try and help people with when they're talking about AI is, you know, OCR is great. And if you, you know, in fact, I've got clients right now that we're doing lots and lots of OCR on old images so that they become more rich and they become a part of the repository. But it's not perfect. And so what you've got to do is say, how do I get my thresholds right? What's the, you know, and what's the confidence? It's the word that's used for OCR. What's the confidence? And above that confidence, I let it fly. Below that confidence, I ask a human to make sense out of this stuff and do a better job of whatever it is, right? Like, so whatever the AI workload is. Um, And we've got to get really, really good at figuring out how do we automate where we can and send it to humans only when we really need their uniqueness, their creativity, their, their, their experience, when we need them. Um, And I don't think we're, I don't think we do a very good job of that, to be honest. No, because I don't, you know, I I think most people approach, you know, things like this, like the AI, the capabilities, you know, based on the marketing of the vendors that are are selling something around it. And I I look, there's a, look, I, I agree. There's a lot we could dive into just around the AI topic, go in different directions. Um, but from a collaboration standpoint, I mean, there's, there's a lot that you can automate. There's, you also have to have the discussion around, um, the culture of your organization, what they're capable of doing. And look, you can automate a lot. Does that necessarily improve the quality of what you're doing? Does that improve the the quality of the of the roles of the people that you have and what you need to have there? You know, what you do for a living, what the business does, yeah. uh, is so. There need to be conversations around all of these things. Like, what are we yeah. actually doing? So that what does this enable us to go and focus on next? Right. Yeah, and I think. Um... It's a, it's, it's a lot of ways about reducing friction. Like I've mentioned that a couple of times, but it's, a, it's, it's the friction of how do I make the, the operation of reaching out to somebody frictionless. And if you're, if you're in Microsoft 365, basically every time you see a person's name, you can hit the card and you can message them right from there, right? Or you can email them right from there, or you can whatever. And that's, that's about reducing friction. Right. If you if you think about the way that you buy songs and movies and and all of these other things, right? They've completely eliminated all of the friction out of the system. And so you can go consume this stuff. Click, click, click. Okay. Well, I'm watching my, you know, the latest movie that I want to watch. That that we've got to do for collaboration. How do we make the things that are in the way of people? How do we get them out of the way of people? Um, and I think there's some interesting things, syntax is, you know. It is interesting, Viva Insights. Um, there's some things that, that are that are interesting about how do we remove the barriers to collaboration. If you're not familiar with what Rob is talking about, I'll, I'll clarify. Yeah, please. Microsoft Vivo. <laughs> I'm just doing that because you did it to me, Rob. Yeah, yeah no, please. Uh, so Microsoft Vivo, which is part of Microsoft's uh, 
you know, employee experience uh, platform. Uh, so that's the, it's uh, Viva, I always describe it as, uh, it, which is the, the timing is right for this. It's that we have all the collaboration tech, all the communications and collaboration tools that are out there. Viva and the EXP space, because they're not the only player, the only company that's looking at that now, uh, employee experience, but is looking at much more at how people are working and is it the healthiest way? So health and well-being of employees, um, mm -hmm. looking at starting to look at it from a longevity of employees, employee burnout became a real thing, um, especially information workers within you know, the COVID era, uh, burnout became a, a, a real thing. You can't just assume that, hey, everything that we were doing in the past, we're just going to move it to online, move it to digital, and everything will work the same or better, you know, because right. we're online all the time. And there were real reactions to that. I think the human part of us um, in, does, in doesn't well without other human interaction, but yeah. So, so thanks for, so for clarifying about insights, I'm going to ask you to come back to topics in a minute Yeah. But before, before we do that, I, so first of all, I need to share with folks that my wife and I wrote a book in 2019 for the society for human resource management titled extinguish burnout. Um, if you do the math, we actually did this before COVID-19 became a thing, but all the resources there are free. There's, there's tons of articles. There's, there's, there's courses, there's whatever. Um, if you, if anybody that's listening is feels like, oh, I'm facing burnout, go to extinguishburnout.com. There's lots of stuff there for you. And I think that that personal aspect has been missing from corporations. So with that, I'm going to come back to topics. So we talk about one of the four pillars of, of Viva, right? Um, and I mentioned insights, but, but I also think that topics is an interesting way to remove the friction between people because as you and I've been doing, uh, back and forth, naturally trying to support your listeners. Uh, we're defining terms and we're trying to help each other, you know, be clear about communicating our message. And so what Topics does is it supposedly um, makes up cards around topics and brings you the most relevant things around a, a, a topic, right? Whatever it is, ISDN. And so what's neat about it is you could write me an email with ISDN in it. I could go, I have no idea what that is. And I can hover over it if it's a topic. I can hover over it, and it'll highlight. It'll bring it up, and it'll give me a short summary. And I can click a link and go to the page and get all kinds of other resources. That's super cool. Yeah, and the idea too is that you can have um, so with with uh, Viva Topics, I'm part of Microsoft Viva, um, that you can, as an organization, can go in and curate that process. So you always have con control over that. But the system can auto suggest and generate yeah. topic cards, and it might look at a frequency of action interaction around like the the acronym ISDN and say, "Hey, this is something that there's a need for, there's an interest in," um, yeah, I, I, and go and create that. Administrators can then go in and curate what content is available within that but the system again will say well here are the people who are talking about it the most yep. here are the ones that are most referenced here's other projects that are related here's other content within the environment that's relevant to that so yeah that's an incredibly uh, that i think my experience um look when as viva was announced that generated the most excitement you know at the time uh, around it. It also, it's, it's probably the, uh, the most mature of the four uh, existing solutions within, I was like, uh, you know, connections, you know, might be, yeah. you yeah. know, so which is like the front end is like the homepage. It was the, the uh, you know, SharePoint, SharePoint homepage. Home. Yeah, SharePoint <laughs> yeah. home. And it got rebranded as connections, but, um, but topics takes the most uh, setup. Yes. Pre-work. Well, but it's also AI, right? And so if we if we put the pieces of this puzzle back together, right? Like AI in the gen general sense, in the generic sense, takes setup. And, and, and a lot of the vendors right. don't tell you that. And it's a lot of the right. reason why it doesn't work. Um, but but just to like spin search. that back. Just, yeah. It's like search. So right. A lot of if work. If you want really good search, you have to work at it. Yep. 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 But, it, but the other thing I want to, so, so kind of 
trying to connect some threads back together, one of the other really interesting things that not a lot of folks pay much attention to is the social network graph that is done by Microsoft 365 on its own. It figures out that you and I are related because we've emailed, because we've been in the meetings together, you have edited my, edited my PowerPoint, and I edited your Word document, and then it starts to recommend, hey, you're probably interested when Christian starts talking about change. You, sh you should see that. That is also reducing that friction. I don't have to know that you just wrote a post about change or whatever. The system starts to bring to me the things that are the most interesting and relevant to me, not based on topics, but based on topics plus my relationships and people. Um, and that's where I think we get we, we get this collaboration without friction. You know, if I, if I could share, uh, when I joined Microsoft in 2006, and I joined um, what was called MMS or the Microsoft Managed uh, Systems or Solutions, the it was rebranded as Business Productivity Online Services (BPOS), which more people know about, and then it got rebranded as Office 365. Yeah. Um, but when I joined that team, so it was about a year after it was founded, it was actually split out of Microsoft IT and it became that organization. So you have some people that were part of that organization that if you're in the SharePoint space, you're going to recognize Bill Baer, uh, Joel Olison, uh, Mike Watson, um, you know, you had, uh, um, uh, who else? I want to say a bunch of other names that uh, a bunch of journal knows, but Sean was part of that. Who who went on? He owned. Uh, he yeah. He owned um, um, foundation for years after that. Yep. So when he left. Yep. Um, but yeah, so there's just a, a, a lot of uh, you know names, recognized names that within the space that were part of that group. Um, but at the time, there was internal only. There was a, a new resource which was kind of added into our own SharePoint implementation, and a lot of things you'll hear Microsoft people talk about dog fooding their own solution, and they're always like two versions ahead. There, and 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 I'll be honest. Uh, whatever we had, it was all brand new and it was always broken uh, because we were breaking it constantly as we're testing yep. things out. But one of the things that they went in and added was this social components. So here I was yep. just a, a couple months brand new into the team. I had come off as I shared earlier, working in the collaboration space. I had already built a hosted collaboration platform with this former company called E2Open. Uh, I was the first product manager hired. We built that solution, deployed it successfully. It looked back in 2001, more like SharePoint 2010 than anything else, but it was just very expensive in, by comparison to SharePoint. Um, but they built these social functions. So essentially I was able to go and build out an, uh, like, uh, an extended profile, my own profile, and ended, entered into it just a bunch of other keywords. So going back to kind of the connections yep. to the topics. So a yep. bunch of topics, you know, areas that I was you know, interested in are part of my profile. Well, as soon as the overnight, the servers were updated, my profile with all the things that I entered into it, I went into my profile and I looked at and I clicked on manufacturing because that I had just worked in that space for several years, um, specifically around collaboration. And I wanted to know, is there anybody else within the company that has that specialty that's looking at it? And so clicked on that and I found like search on SharePoint in manufacturing, I found salespeople. So people that were part of the sales organization that were yep. located there at headquarters that were specifically looking at selling SharePoint into manufacturing organizations. And I reached out to them immediately and said, hey, you know, I just joined Microsoft a couple months ago. Like, uh, this is my background, happy to help out. And they're like, are you kidding me? He says, for months. We've been trying to get somebody to respond to us, to help us out, to, to try and close some deals. So I ended up right. joining some sales calls and helping do some deals uh, yep. because I had some experience within that space. Yep. That's just like a, I mean, th again, that was rudimentary now. Now right. we're talking about things that we take for granted, like the ability to go in and you know build a profile, have topic cards, have yep. you know all this the, the, the social graph leverage that information, the system to actually suggest the connections based yeah. on those through the yeah. network, 
through our activity. I mean, that is something that is newer. And I don't think that people completely appreciate that that's the direction that collaboration is going. Well, and I don't think, so I don't think the vision is fully formed yet, right? So the the social graph stuff has been in Dell for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of people don't really know that, you know, they wondered why Microsoft bought Yammer. That's why they bought Yammer. Um, that, that technology came from that acquisition. Um, it's integrated into search now. It's, it's a powerful way um, to help. And, and, and by the way, just for the folks that don't know how social network graphs, they, they work on signals and the signals are very lightweight. They're, they're, I opened a document, I edited a document, we shared whatever, we talked about some of those. Those become edges and those edges are the relationships, right? And they have different weights, strengths. Um, and they're using that information now to help us get better results and make it easier for us to connect. You know, it, where you had to go searching for these folks in manufacturing who are trying to sell, you know, who's trying to sell SharePoint to manufacturing, you know, today or five years from now, three years from now, two years from now, whenever this stuff's all kind of really gelled together, it will tell you, hey, Bob and Susie are looking for support for. Uh, manufacturing, selling into the manufacturing, and you seem to have that skill. Can you help them? By the way, here's the question. Here's where they posted it. Here's the link. You can just direct reply to it without going there, right? And that's that's kind of the path that we're on um, for the very for the very ad hoc. There was that you know in the the mid 2010s when they first did that social graph. They did like a simplified version of some of this where it yeah. would basically go and look at based on your social networks, mm-hmm. the activity. And the social problem with that yep. is that I could just have a bunch of idiot friends that are clicking on completely irrelevant stuff and skew hey, the hey, results. Hey. I'm your friend. Hey, <laughs> I said, some. I some. resemble. Not, not, oh. <laughs> I occasionally identify as idiot, but not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but anyway uh, so it needs to be Him a little idiot more... that's the way i identify <laughs> so it's a little more intelligent than that thankfully uh it, it's gotten smarter than that so it, it's not just you know anybody that you seem to be connected to in your network and therefore they open that document and then you heavily skew towards that document but um it, it would be yeah open the document and then yes, it solved the problem. They didn't immediately yep. go into another document. Like the, the system got smarter to understand and, and try to define what a successful hit of the company, yeah. a successful yeah. referral of an individual of that expertise. Yeah. Uh, and so it's learning from that. Yeah. And that's, that's something that is newer last five, six years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really, you know, we have a really good continuum now and, and, and it's going to continue to get better. Right. But we've got the very incredibly ad hoc, right. You get the very incredibly ad hoc and you can search and we're getting topic cards and we're getting all this stuff that removes all the friction from it. And we also really have some very world-class tools in terms of power automate and the RPA capabilities and, 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 right. Like, so we're, we're, we're starting to get to this continuum now where we can, support collaboration from the completely ad hoc to the people you know and work with fairly regularly to the, oh my gosh, it's a business process, but it has those pieces in it where it has to drop out and a human has to do something with it. Um, and that's that's really exciting because I think that that, that gives us a, a more complete palette of the things that we can do with collaboration. Um, one that's been you know very, very hard to do in the past. Rob, what are your thoughts on in the next 10 years um, of the impact to collaboration of the metaverse? Um, so keep it more in, you know, like shorter term, near term. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. So, so I have two HoloLenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a V1 and I've got a V2. Um, I have headsets. I have, I have, I have, right? Like, so this, this idea of metaverse is, um, a space that I have been in for a bit, um, augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, I don't, were you ever a glass hole? No, didn't have that. No, no. I wanted to try that. Cause I, I do like the idea of 
the the AR side of things, the augmented reality and incorporating that into real life and and be able to like think about this, like the ability to, you know, you know, we're both wearing glasses now, you're reading glasses here, but you're sitting in a conference, whether a virtual meeting or even in-person meeting and having notes pop up or having reminders of, of next meetings or other things, you know, that, that are related um, to the, the discussion come in. So thank you for the negative example, because I want to focus on you. I don't want to focus on the 15 emails and the 17 reminders. And the, yeah. Oh my gosh, I got a team. Take off the glasses. Yeah, that's right. right. Like, yeah. yeah, I got to take off my glasses. Then I can't see. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I think that, uh, so first of all, I think that the where that would help me is, did you ever have that experience where you are walking up to somebody that you know you should know yeah. and- for the life of you, you cannot remember their name. Yes. Like I want the avatar, like the, the cool thing about metaverse is the avatars can have names hovering above them, yep. right? That's cool. Cause I don't remember Susie's name. Yeah. Um, but so, so yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting space. Um, I can tell you that the technologies that we have today for immersion and I don't care which platform, like, I don't care what platform you right. use. I don't care. Yeah. The, all of that VR stuff really, um, they don't have the ergonomics right yet. Mm. They're getting there. Like, don't hear me say it's never going to make it. No, I'm right. not Mr. Wilson, but it's not quite right yet. Um, there's still a lot of people that it gives headaches to. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's a lot of neurology about it, but, but the, the, the mixture of, Visual cues, which don't match your vestibular cues, causes a lot of people motion sickness. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of things they've got to figure out. Now, that being said, I think that we are moving towards feeling like we are present together when we are not. Um, so you're recording with videos on, so you and I can see each other. We can see you get to see my hand waving. Um, and, and that brings us closer. We've got videos and that's, that's what that is. And I think that the, the, the benefit of metaverse in the mm, five, 10 year time frame, so longer than we think, but I think as we get to where it's starting to read your facial gestures and it's replicating those in, and it really starts to feel more real and less cartoony because it's very cartoony right now, then I think um, it can help with some of the social isolation um, and I, and I think that's, I think that's a powerful thing, um, right now. And <laughs> I know I'm going to get flack for this and, um, you might, you put my email in the show notes. It's okay. Um, you know what, um, do you, do you remember Microsoft, Bob, the product that they only had out there for like three days, right? Like, I don't remember, but it, but it was like the shortest product Microsoft ever released. That's SharePoint spaces. Yeah. Right. Because Bob was this 2D cartoony kind of world. Right. And SharePoint Spaces is I want to put a visual, I want to put a spatial aspect around something that is inherently in, uh, not spatial, something that is inherently abstract. Um, so, so I think we're going to struggle through that. Like I use that as an example because it's, it's, it's very difficult for them to get that right because they have no models, they have no baselines. And so they put something out there as a good starting, as a, as a starting point. And so how do we, how do we learn to interact with our information and our other people in ways that are more three-dimensional or approximating three-dimensional? And, and I would say that, and, and not trying to be funny or anything, but um, you know, you think of the, uh, you know, the, the Star Wars movies, you think mm -hmm. of the, uh, in the Jedi temple and they're sitting around there and some of them are there virtually. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why when I, when I talk about, you know, the augmented reality capability, when we have that, and I think that's, you know, the 20 plus years away to truly have that kind of experience, maybe it'll be sooner. Hey, 
hey, dazzle me companies have it sooner than that. But having something that's lightweight, not this big old helmet of a device that you have to wear to have that, but have it through lighter weight, you know, glasses with an earpiece and microphone and be able to have some degree of interaction where it looks almost like it's there in my real space um, and that kind of interaction that will change. And I will, you know, I, I think that it would dramatically change. Having said that, even the way that it is today, um, and you know this because you've got two headsets. I don't, I don't have a headset here, but my, my, the, the few it? times that I've had it actually played with the technology, um, I'm not one of the people that gets, you know, dizzy or things like it. I, mm -hmm. I can adjust to that pretty quickly. Even with as cartoonish as it is, it, it's, it's incredible how the brain can adjust to those yep. things and how powerful it can be. So as far as an accessibility solution yep. and the options that it brings, I think are, are incredible, but I'm still, I guess I'm just old fashioned uh, in that I think that collaboration still works the best when people have the ability to see each other in person and everything else is you're augmenting, you are, you're filling up, filling with the, those needs, but. Right. You're, you're trying to do the best you can. I think, so I do think that one of the interesting things is, as we get to this space, um, I will get to more fully experience some of my friends who are 12, 13 time zones away, I suppose 11, if you want to go the other direction. Right. Um, I know you and I were talking about off, off air, we were talking about Paul Colmsey and and you had recently had a chat with him and he's a he is a friend right like he comes over here he asks me to move like I'm gonna help him right and and yet the experience that he and I have of our relationship and our friendship is strained by 12 hours of separation and half a planet um I would totally love to feel like I'm in his living room and like feel like he's in mine Paul, by the way, is in Perth, Australia. So it's the, what is it? The, it, it, it has the, uh, the name. It's the, uh, it's the most remote big city in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and so Western Australia, right? Like, so when people think of Australia, they think of Eastern Australia, they think of Sydney and Melbourne and, and he's on the opposite end. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, he and I have great conversations in the morning evening or the evening morning, um, but their conversations, they're not, they're not him and I standing around a whiteboard like we've been able to do at a couple of conferences, right? But we're not standing around a whiteboard working together. That would be cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be cool. No, I think there's a lot of exciting things that are coming up. You know, the one thing I'll just go back to you say before we close out here is that you said, uh, you know, there's there's no um, industry that's stable. Yeah. The only thing I would argue, I agree with you, except that the space we're in the collaboration technology space, the last 10 years, and I would argue the next 10 to 20 years, it's probably one of the most stable uh, spaces that you can be in, uh, it, you know, certainly within technology, because so much of the world has become reliant on this space and on the technology, the tools that we're building and supporting. So it, it, it depends a little bit on what you mean by stability. If you mean reliability, sure, I'll take that. But if you mean consistent, I won't. Um, when, when did they decommission Skype for business? Yeah, but it was then, I just look at people during, hey, look, during the pandemic, I don't right. know anybody that worked in this space that was out of, out of work. Well, right. Right, right, right. So, so, but, so, but, you know, people didn't do their digital transformations. COVID came along. COVID made them do their digital transformations, and that's not exactly right. They had their teams rollouts on hold because they had other things that they cared about. All of a sudden, March 2020 comes along, and Teams is now the number one priority. By the way, it's only Teams for video meetings. It's not actually Teams for the team sites. That's just going to delay the the 
the deployment and the use the 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 recognition of the rest of what we have that's going to further extend the opportunities right but so so but here's my so here's my point in bringing that up so it depends on your the lens you're using for stability right mm -hmm. because the 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 degree to which people are using vid, video meetings now compared to uh, two years ago is not on the same planet, right? It was a vertical line. And, and so not that that's bad. It isn't bad in any way, but it is change. And so whether you want to talk about it's, uh, you know, the fluid frameworks coming out. So where you're editing and all the time and all the different, you know, the, the applications no longer matter, right? Like, oh, it's Excel and it's PowerPoint and it's Word and it's all together. I don't know about the fluid framework. So Microsoft Loop, if you don't know what that is, go take a look at it. There's going to be a lot of activity around that topic in the coming year or two. Right. And so, but, so, but yes, I think that we, we exist in a space for collaboration, which is exciting and terrifying, but very exciting. Um, and so I don't know that I could say that I, it feels like this is a space that's stable, reliable. Yes. Stable. Not sure. I guess we can argue on the semantics of it. I just, uh, I'm, so I, I look at my, you know, uh, over the next uh, 15, 20 years, uh, the remainder of my career, um, I am fairly confident that I will remain within the collaboration sector and have a, a very fulfilling and healthy and continually growing career in this space. Absolutely. It's a great Absolutely. It's, not, it's not that the sector's going away. It's that the that the way that you collaborate, the technologies you use, totally different. Sure. Do you do voice to text for your text messages yet? Uh, I do for some, yes. Okay. You wouldn't have done that three years ago. Right. Right? So it, it was crap three years ago. Well, because it didn't work, right? right? But, 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 but the, the thing is, right? Like, so we used to- Although the transcripts of my, of my voicemails was always hilarious. So yeah, I appreciate it. It was funny. <laughs> lots, of, lots of fodder. But, but here's the thing, right? Like, so, so we keep, it, it's, not, it's not that I think that the market is going away. I think it's the way that we collaborate as human beings changes. Yeah, but that's- and I think that's- Look, cool. there's, a, there's a bigger discussion around that. So like, there, there's, I think that's built into anything. If you're not prepared for a constant state of change, then get ready for life to disappoint you. Like, well, well, but right, yeah. but okay. So, but, but aviation. So the aviation foundations of the aviation system were built in the 1940s and 1950s. Really came out of World War II, and that was the last time they did a major update. And yet, it's starting to change. In the last 20 years, since I've been a pilot, um, we now have moved to basically all glass cockpits, um, and we've moved away from some other technologies and some stuff. But we still have the airports and 5G colliding, right? Yeah. But 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 that that industry, which is one of the ones that really didn't move, is starting to move. Energy, energy, oh my gosh, energy didn't move, right? It's like big heavy wires. We don't move this stuff, but it's starting to change and transform. Think about the renewable energy and the storage and the and what's going to happen when you plug in your Tesla. Just so, saw some news this morning that major progress has made been made on fusion and cold and, fusion uh, it's still not cold fusion but uh we're still you know a couple decades away from stuff but the fact that you know it there was a news piece talking about hey some really cool things have happened yeah no there's 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 really cool things and i and i think that the point is is it's accelerating yeah and i don't think that collaboration is immune to that i think that as we evolve as humans um, and I don't mean that in the Darwinian sense, but as we learn to adapt and do new things, I think it's really cool. I think we've got some great opportunities. Yeah. Well, that, like anything, you need, you need to, uh, um, you know, when I started my software company in 1997, you know, we had certain ideas of what we were going to go build. We, th we thought we were going to be a, a product. We actually were building a piece of hardware. And three and a half years later, we sold a software company. So, you know, just very much changed because we, we made the decisions like, look, we're, we're doing some of the fundamental things that are true about what we started out, set out to go and do. Um, but ultimately, we're in business to be in business. And so we evolved and changed based on just market realities that were right. that are out there, but we're still kind of true to that original 
vision. But anyway, Rob, people want to find out more about you. How, what's the best way to find you? Yeah. So, so I'm going to start with saying like, we're talking about all this change. And so uh, last year really released this uh, confident change management. So you'll find a lot of the stuff that I've been doing confidentchangemanagement.com. There's lots of free resources there. And as you're trying, how do I cope with change and how do I make change work? There's a lot of stuff there. Um, I mentioned earlier the Extinguished Burnout site, which has all the free stuff. And and really seriously, if you're struggling, please go there. And if you can't find it, reach out to me. I will help you the best I can. Uh, If you really want to get the whole up view of this uh, multiverse that is my head, um, it is all on thorprojects.com and uh, post a book review every single week of the world. So there's like 600 books up there now that that I've read and reviewed and cross-referenced and tied together, like like Topics is going to do, but I did it manually. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to to join today. We'll have to uh, we'll have to get together again and just do a a uh, just around change management and talk about that history and what why organizations struggle, why it's such a great need out there, why every organization recognizes that they need that as a strength, and yet. Most companies I've worked for, worked with, have just been terrible at it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a very crazy thing that we should definitely talk more about, um, and 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 the tie into adoption and how do you adopt collaboration tools? Yep. So very cool. But friend, thanks. Well, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.